Ergonomics is the center of every good workplace. Explore how that means more than just your keyboard as experts examine health, safety, and efficiencies on the job. You're listening to Work Factors on Texas A&M Health Talk. All right, everybody, welcome back to uh, Work Factors. We are episode three. I am your, let's go with eternal. That seems to be a a good, (laughs) uh, a lot of behind the scenes. So if you have, if you don't know the joke about eternal, go back and listen to episode one. Uh, I'm Adam Pickens, your host, and with me as always, Martha Parker. Yep. Co-host. 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 Co-host who is uncomfortable with awkward silence. Uh, 100%. And Ask my I, husband. We were, we were just talking about that. That is what makes her such a great co-host, is the uncomfortableness with the awkward silence. That is correct. Because some of us, not naming names or pointing <laughs> fingers, are completely fine in living in a world of awkward silence. That's right. And who is that giggling over there? I don't know. That could be our guest for the day, Mr. Dennis Johnson. How are you doing? I'm doing well. How are you? Good. I feel like I've seen you a lot today. You could. Yeah. I, I, I just finished a lecture in, in Dennis's class. So uh, you want to tell us about the class? <laughs> <laughs> no. So we'll do, we'll do a brief introduction. So we gave just some backstory here for y'all. So Dennis is our executive in residence in the Environmental Occupational Health Department. Uh, Dennis likes notes and lists and things like that. So Martha and I as the good host that we are, mm-hmm. gave Dennis a few talking points. But now we're just lobbing things at him willy-nilly. So uh, so we're trying to create that awkward silence. That's right. We're trying to see how uncomfortable Martha is with the awkward silence. So now that everybody knows that you are our executive in residence, you want to give us a little background? Uh, because today you are here to talk to us about safety leadership. Okay. Right? But how did, how did you get here? And that's I mean, that's the, really what How did you know. get here? I mean, we know you drove over in your car, but I mean, besides that. Well, that's inaccurate. It's a truck. It's a truck. Yeah. Good point. That's true. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, I, um, I've i been in the safety field, safety industrial hygiene field, for the last 35 years. Wait, uh, are you 35 years old? Just barely. Okay. Mm. And I came to Texas A&M about four years ago. Um, first came to know about the Texas A&M School of Public Health uh, when I worked for an energy company and came here to recruit safety and uh, health students. So it, through that relationship, um, and after I'd left that energy company, I had the privilege to be able to come and work with uh, yourself and Dr. Benden and others. So your official title is Executive in Residence. Uh, I've mentioned that you've, you've got a class. How does that feel? Executive in residence. It sounds pretty awesome. It, it sounds better than mine in your title, that's for sure. <laughs> it sort of goes with the pay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. I don't know if that's a dig at me or a, 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 a propping himself up there. I don't know. <laughs> so wh- let me ask you this. What does an executive in residence do at Texas A&M? Well, I get the privilege of working with our students along with yourself. We get to uh, help them understand what it's like to work in the safety and health field, working in industry. And we also get the opportunity to uh, help them uh, understand what some of the uh, new issues that are coming forward in that field. Uh, But we also get to help them uh, introduce themselves to uh, employers and hopefully uh, be able to find internships or jobs afterward. So uh, I think you brought up an interesting point there. You, um, 
back in your time in industry, you were a member, but now you are uh, kind of heading the uh, academic side of our industrial advisory board. That's true. And I think that's one of the most valuable things you bring to the table, Dennis, is your your relationship experience within the industry and how you know how small, medium, and large companies work because of your experience. And so you're able to reach out on on Texas A&M's behalf and say, wow, we have great students and here's the program. And you're able to kind of speak both languages. I think that's really valuable. Well, it is. And, and you know, uh, we started this industry advisory board about 10 plus years ago. Um, at the beginning, it was just a handful of people. And we wanted to come together and, and start figuring out how we might be able to use uh, the uh, curriculum here at Texas A&M to be able to, to develop students. And it's really done very well over the last 10 years. Yeah. I, overall, I would agree. I think, uh, you know, without without this becoming com- a commercial for the EOH department, I think we've done really well. And, mm-hmm. uh, so I think one of one of the things that Martha brought up was, you know, you you worked in, in a number of different uh, companies in the energy field. So we we've brought you on today, not just for your amazing title <laughs> or your, you know, extra large paycheck. Yeah. Extra large paycheck. Let's say that. Uh, but because you have been at a number of different organizations that operate very differently, mm-hmm. the, the topic of the day is safety leadership in your experience, cause you, you've been both a leader and a follower. You know, I, I talk to you all the time about this and, and, uh, talk to you about coworkers and, and I don't know the right term anymore. Your work workers. Workers. What's employees. The, employees. That's yep. it. Good gracious. Golly. <laughs> I seriously sometimes, I'm not 50 years old, but I've got a, <laughs> my mind. Goodness. Uh, your, your employees in those organizations as your different, as your role changed, what were some of the things that you saw uh, that helped you understand what a good leader needed to be in safety? That's a great question. You know, um, over the course of, of my experience in industry, I've worked for people that were good managers, but weren't great leaders. I've also worked for people that were great leaders and maybe not such great managers. I think the ones that you remember the most are the ones that were inspirational. They also gave you tons of support. They didn't require, um, um, you know, reporting in like uh, most managers do, but it was more of a a support given to you by uh, their confidence in what you could do. I I think that's an important distinction between a leader and Mm -hmm. a manager. You know, I, 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 correct me if I'm wrong. I mean, y'all, again, we've all worked at different organizations in, in different capacities, but my experience tells me a manager gets the daily task done. A manager worries about the details. Mm-hmm. The leader has the vision, and the leader inspires people. Is that, I mean, would y'all agree th- with that, I'd or how pretty, would you amend that? I think that's pretty fair. Though The one thing I would add about maybe a, a part of a manager that makes a good leader is the trust but ver- verify, which I think is what Dennis was saying was, you know, you've got to have trust in your employees to go out and do their jobs without micromanaging them. But at the same time, you've got to have enough knowledge and skill set to go behind them every once in a while and go, is that right? Is that wrong? Mm-hmm. Um, 
So that's the only that's the only thing I might add to that. Uh, yeah, I think so. The other thing I'd add is you also worked with people that may not have had a uh, management role, but they were leaders themselves. They weren't in a management role, but they were leaders, and and you saw that. And by the way, way they behaved, uh, the way you interact with them. I remember a guy I worked with, his name was uh, Bob, and he was a safety guy. And oftentimes, uh, if you drove by, drove by his house on weekends, he'd be out mowing the yard. Well, when I mowed the yard, I'd have on shorts, I'd wear safety glasses, but I wouldn't wear much else. But Bob, every time you saw him, had like, on... Yeah, much other safety <laughs> gear. Yeah. Okay, he had let's a, make please sure. tell me you had a shirt on. <laughs> let's not get into the details. Yeah, let's, let's just not. stick to safety okay. gear. Okay, sorry. Yeah. All right. Help me follow this Focus trend. <laughs> but Bob always had on, uh, you know, long sleeve shirts, long pants, safe, uh, steel-toed shoes, um, and safety glasses. If he's weed eating, he's wearing a, a, a face shield mm. because he truly believed in what he was practicing at work or what he was saying for others to do at work. And but you could see others in our department that, that weren't that committed to wearing the personal protective equipment. So that's a good example of how he as an individual demonstrated his leadership to others that were around him just by practicing and instituting in his daily life things that we tried to practice on the job. Well, I, you know, I think, I think that's important to uh, you one word that you said there it, it was all great but one of the words that you said there was commitment mm-hmm. you know every study that we ever read coming out about uh, successful leadership and successful safety programs it's got to have a commitment to it mm-hmm. you know and and it's hard to have a bottom-up driven safety program that's entirely successful without the commitment of the management mm-hmm. you know and so but mm-hmm. you you're shaking your head I agree yeah Look at that uncomfortable silence. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, outside of a management commitment, you know, let's let's just take Bob for example. Bob is a, a safety professional. It's also been my experience, and I, I'd like to hear your feedback on this. Sometimes leadership can come from a non-managerial or a non-role, C-suite I mean, role. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, it's it's. From an individual In, contributor. Any individual contributor. Right. Yeah, so can you talk to that a little bit? I mean, some of the impact that you've seen from maybe not a manager or supervisor or something that, that's actually a leader in the safety field, but, you know, maybe a peer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, somebody that took it in their heart, not on their job title. Right, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. Well, Bob was a great example of that. He, he was an individual contributor just like, like the rest of us at the time. Um, and that's, you know, that was at a time when, when uh, you spent a lot more time focusing on programmatic approaches to safety than mm-hmm. trying to do it the way we do today. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bob, Bob just had that uh, sense of, of commitment. He had that sense that he practiced everything that he had learned as he, as he went through school, as, as he'd gone through uh, the everyday work environment. Um, he was familiar how uh, people were injured on the job, and, and he, he took that and he internalized that and knew that he needed to be able to practice it at home what he was in a way pre- preaching at work. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it had to do more with, a, I'd call it a, a personal commitment, a, um, 
a personal passion that he had for for safety. Do you think the ability to intervene is important in a in a safety leader? It is because um, you know when you look at in a um, organizational structure um, where you've got all different levels of, of employees, it, it's it's necessary for those that are higher in that organization to be able to show um, their commitment to safety. And you can't. So oftentimes you can't show that commitment unless there is some level of intervention mm-hmm. where they see that something's going wrong or they see that uh, people aren't being committed to what you're trying to do. And it requires their, their intervention. It requires their involvement to say how important something is. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of the questions that, that we had talked about was, you know, leadership as a role versus leadership as a commitment. And you, you've worked at, at multiple different sized organizations. Mm-hmm. How is leadership different in a big multinational organization, at least in your experience, versus maybe a smaller one? I mean, is, is it easier to lead? Is it easier to show commitment? Is it, I mean, how much of the, the, culture of a big organization is, you know, it's like a freight train. It's just moving along. It's hard to change versus, you know, really being able to make a personal impact at a smaller organization. And what is your preference mm. based on your experience? Did you, did you prefer like a, having a major impact pretty quickly in a smaller organization, even if that smaller organization with isn't with is within a big multinational mm. corporation? Um, versus having a role or being a leader that was of a very large group where you had to, where you were kind of driven on the train instead of yeah, being able to <coughs> affect it? That's a great question. It's, um, I, t- to me, and, and you could probably find articles written on the traits of, of uh, leaders, uh, safety leaders and other types of leaders. I guess what I, I would say to that is that it's more of a, it's an individual trait. It's a, it's a passion that they have that they're able to demonstrate in their day-to-day job. If you work for a small company that, um, whether they're producing widgets or they're or producing... See, it's a widget. It's a widget. Dennis knows the Thank widgets. you. Thank uh-huh. you. You're welcome. We've had this discussion <laughs> with, with students. Yeah. And students don't know what widgets are. Thanks. So thank Highly you for that. Highly technical term. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that. But when you work in a small organization that may have more pressures on them to perform, pressures on them to sell their product, you may not have, individuals in the organization may not have the space to be able to develop their internal traits to be a leader. Some, it comes very natural. But I think there's others that they actually have to spend a lot of time and effort to explore their le- leadership capability. I think there's some, though, like, like managers. There's some that are extremely great managers uh, because they're able to um, perform their role as a manager very well. But it's hard for them to share what their vision is for that team. So is it harder in a smaller company over larger? To me, it's really about the people that, that you're working with. It's the people that 
migrate or are hired by those companies that somewhat take on a personality similar to that company. And so I've worked with small companies, yes, that had great leaders, and I've also worked for larger companies that had great leaders. The advantage with a larger company is that there may be a little bit, um, I don't want to say freedom, but there may be a little bit more space in someone's day-to-day activity or in the, in the team that they're working with to be able to uh, develop their leadership traits. Well, yeah, and in, in those, especially in those really large organizations, they have management or leadership training mm-hmm. courses and classes mm-hmm. and yeah. paths um, that as you move up into an organization, they will help you develop those mm-hmm. skills and develop the, the ability to ignite the passion for being a leader, whereas those opportunities may not exist for leaders or managers in a smaller type organization. Right. Well, I think that's where you need to seek it out yourself. You know, I mean, it, I, as I'm sitting across from y'all, y'all are very different. And yeah, it's shocking. What? I know well, it's a it revelation is? to both of y'all. What's just, different? We, we can talk about that later. That, that can be an offline discussion. I don't know if y'all have recognized that. So. Um, but y'all are very different. And I think one of the thing is, is y'all have both been leaders. But your leadership traits are very different, and uh, and you've cultivated them in in probably very different ways. Mm-hmm. You know, you're so. It, I would be very interested to hear from both of y'all. I mean, you've turned from co-host into co-participant, co-participant, mm-hmm. um, interviewee. Yeah. So, well, Dennis, I'd like to start with you. So, you personally, I mean, we we can talk. Everybody's got their own traits, and you can take the Myers Briggs, and you can evaluate your own self. You know, I. I've taken it. I'm a INTJ architect. I don't know what that means, but that's what I am. That's your personality trait. Yeah, and mm-hmm. so you cultivate those though, your leadership based upon your personality traits as much as you possibly can, because that helps you know what your strengths are. With all that aside, for you personally, uh, you're a bit more reserved. For somebody who might be similar to you, so just your personal experience as somebody who might be a little more reserved how did you recognize the traits that you needed to develop to become a good leader because i i know a bit of your your work background you i mean you moved up both from you know your technical acumen but you moved up in leadership roles as well so how did you go about identifying and how did you like what were some of the strengths that you really wanted to cultivate Martha, you can be thinking about this while Dennis I, is going. It's a good thing that you cut this part out. Yeah. <laughs> no, we leave it all in. <laughs> okay. Yeah. We we go we go pretty uncut on this on work factors. See, name drop right there good again. Ba boom. Texas A&M Health Talk. <laughs> you know, I I, I think um, as you gain experience, as you as you work with different people on your team, as you develop the experience you need uh, to be able to perform in your career. I think you you see how others behave, how they perform uh, in their in their daily work life. And I think you start to start to emulate what you're seeing in others that you have identified as someone you want to be like. Mm. 
So it's not something like, oh, I think I'll be a leader tomorrow and I'm going to go take a <laughs> class. It's something by working with people and getting familiar with, with them and seeing how they are able to um, lead or describe a vision or get people behind them. And you try to start emulating that. You also see those examples that you sit back and you, you know, I've worked with people that were pretty hard-nosed, pretty opinionated. And that's Opi- not you? Well, to a different degree. Okay. Opinionated in a way that no matter what you did, it was wrong. Mm-hmm. Or no matter how you did it, it wasn't the way they wanted it done. And those people you learned, you know, you, you saw real quick that they were in a little box and you didn't want to be like that. Mm-hmm. So it was, to me, it was more of, um, seeing how others conducted themselves, seeing how others were able to build relationships with others. And it was like, I want to be like that. You know, it's funny that you bring that up because my immediate leader is Mark Benden. He's my department chair. Uh, I'm sure Mark will be on a podcast eventually, mm-hmm. but he's in high demand for many podcasts, apparently. Um, you know, it, one of the things I've identified in Mark is he genuinely cares about everybody that mm-hmm. he's around. Mm-hmm. And I, it's, it's harder for me to do that, but I see the value in it. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm trying to be more caring. The kinder, of, gentler Adam? Yeah, let's go with that. Yeah. Yeah, kinder, gentler Adam. You know, <laughs> God bless him. Mark will know everything about every student by the time they graduate. Uh-huh. And I, I can mostly tell you their names it's not that I don't care about them but that quality of investing in the people around you is something that I've identified that is exceedingly valuable for me as a a faculty member and I need to I'm working to try to better emulate that you know I, I would hope that the students today would say I they see me investing in them more than the students did five years ago well, I agree. I, I guess one thing I'd say is that um, you would never be accused of not caring about people. You just may not show it as visibly as others. Well, okay, 100%. that's true. Okay, that that's true. true. Yeah, and that's probably true. And as you said, you hold uh, your cards real close, real close mm-hmm. to the vest. That's right. Yeah, it doesn't mean that you don't care. It just means that you are maybe a little bit more incremental in how you react to people. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm a bit more measured. Yeah. Yeah. And and Dennis, you are the same way. Yes, absolutely. You're, I mean, I know shocking, we're very different that way, but you are you are kind and gentle as well, but that is not how you come across mm-hmm. at all at the very at the very beginning. Oh, I know, but that's yeah. because I'm shy. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And then you get to know you and you're like, "Oh, he's so great." <laughs> 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 so Martha, same question to you. So Okay, so I, I got it. Yeah. I'm ready. Hit it. So my I I believe that anybody can be a leader if they want to. And I think that's where the passion comes in that you talked about, Dennis. Um I was thrown into a leadership role pretty early on in my career and I understood innately, I think, in the value of relationships. And so I can find something in common with anybody and that kind of puts us on an even keel. And that, that makes what I did as an ergonomist 
easier mm-hmm. for, for people to stomach sometimes when I would come in and I looked like I was evaluating them and kind of judging them and figuring out, you know, how to make it easier and better and faster and more comfortable. And it, it was difficult sometimes when people thought that I was the quote expert, but if I had a, established the relationship with that person, it made it so much easier on both of our parts because it was, it's easy to help somebody that you care about and it's easy to help somebody that you have a relationship with. It's difficult if you go in there and try to, you know, just vomit stuff on them. And they don't. Argo. Yeah. They're <laughs> Safety. Like, what? I don't understand. <laughs> and you're not helping me. Um, so I, I know that that's a strength of mine is that relationship building. Um, and so I do take time. I can't say I'm as good as Dr. Benden. I mean. Oof. But I do take time to get to know people. Mark, if you listen to this, them. we're singing your praises. So yes. remember that when it comes to annual evals. That's right. But I know my weakness is I also have the ability to run over people. Mm. Right? Because I'm a decision maker. I want to get things done and I want to get done quickly. And I don't need you, you know, lollygagging around. We're just going to get this done. And I've had really had to work over the years in being a better listener. And that has helped me develop better relationships with people so that I don't run over and go so fast and leave everybody in the dirt. I always tell my son, we have two ears and one mouth, so we should listen more than we talk. That is correct. And my father told me the same thing. Yeah. I, some of us yeah. have a hard time with you it. You should and some think us, before you speak. Yeah. I'm however many years old, and I'm still <laughs> learning that every day. It's okay. <laughs> it's the identified area of opportunity. It is. Yeah. So I think I think one of the things that that we'd like to finish up on here is, you know, we we've talked about traits and we talked about all that stuff and and how to be a leader in different roles. Talk a little bit about the identification of your own weaknesses, because I think I think for most people. It's uncomfortable to recognize what you are deficient in. And, you know, I sometimes I've. I've had great leaders that I've been associated with that lead out of weakness. You know, they, they're able to surround themselves with people who are really good at the areas that they are deficient in. And I don't know if that's been y'all's experience, but uh, you know, it it has been mine from time to time. I mean, some people lead out front only in their strengths, but I I think the recognition of weakness is also a a key factor in being a good leader because I think any leader, at any field, isn't going to be good at everything. <laughs> wow. Well, it is such a great question. <laughs> I have literally got everybody around me stunned. <laughs> or were you trying to say, where's the question in that? I was thinking about really where was that question to get lost in the. So, <laughs> so, so I forget who my co who my guest is today. Okay, Dennis, let me fra- rephrase this as a question. In thinking about identification of your weaknesses as a, as a leader, how important is it to be able to know where you need help? That's a good question. Thank you. Well, thank you. You, you know, uh, I can think of, of the team that I work with now. Um, we all this probably is going to hit a little close to home. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. I like, oh, we all sort of work off each other. Mm-hmm. Like you said, Agreed. Uh, you know, some have, strengths uh, that others don't. Um, I am slow to get s- slow. <laughs> <laughs> slow to get the words out? Yeah. Okay. Um, I may take more time 
and assessing a situation before I respond. Mm-hmm. That's just the way I am. Um, but that doesn't mean that others around me may not be responding quicker or, or say if we're trying to deal with an issue, that uh, time for me to, re- to assess that may help me to uh, overcome whatever you know the weakness I may have in responding quickly. So what I guess what I'm trying to say is that we, we benefit by working around those that have um, other types of, of skills and traits and behaviors uh, to a little help, diversity, a little diversity mm-hmm. to help you see, to help you see how, you know, maybe you need to do something different. Mm-hmm. Well, and you know, I, it's funny that you bring up our team, you know, it's, it's, we, we are very diverse in our, mm-hmm. in our diversity of thought and diversity right. of capacity. I would say I'm very much more like you, you know, it, it takes me a long time to sit there and in a meeting digest the information that's being presented to me to be able to formulate what I feel is an appropriate, accurate response. Mm-hmm. But we sit in meetings all the time uh, and people will just rapid fire off their thoughts. And some of them, you know. <laughs> why, why, why you keep looking at I, me? I, I'm just saying. It, it's, it's differences in people and it's yes. not... Just you. <laughs> oh, wait, I did say it was you. You so, did. It's okay. It's, it's <laughs> I'm clear. Okay. So, you know, I, I think that identification of the fact that you and I may be, it, and it's uh, it's not a weakness. It's just a difference. It's different. You different know, it's, style. It's yeah. different styles, different, different communication style, mm-hmm. style, different thought process. Mm-hmm. Just because I'm not saying something doesn't mean I'm not actively trying to formulate what I feel is a good response. It just may take me a little bit longer. So I would, I would, I would give us a little visual on that. Um, like you're driving a go-kart. I love go-karts. Right, I know. I had a go-kart as a kid. So you're in a go-kart, and you're at a go-kart Ooh. track. Pins oil. And it has the bumpers on the side, right, the metal bumpers. Yes. I am the go-kart driver that just goes. Like hit the, hit the, hit the gas, and you hit the bumper, and then you – bounce off and you go this way and you bounce off and you go this way. You guys are like, I'm going to stay in the middle of the lane and I'm just going to be real measured about the way I do things. We're both going to finish. Yeah. We're both going to get there. I'm just going to be a little more jarred. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we're going to pass you when you run into the curve. That's right. <laughs> yeah. but when you I know, cut it too short. <laughs> I, think th- I, think that's, I think that's a great analogy because it's not it's less about – recognition of self and more mm-hmm. about recognition of your teammates and who you're working with. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, a, I think a good leader needs to recognize the, the different components that they have on their team. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if let's, let's keep going back to Mark, you know, <laughs> and he's not even here, and he's not even himself. here, but, but it doesn't matter. <laughs> it's, I, I think he's no, probably no bonus for Adam. Yeah. I think he's probably <laughs> very keenly aware of the different personality traits on Ergo Center staff or faculty in the department and things like that. And, you know, sometimes he might need to talk to somebody not in a not in a faculty meeting because maybe that person's not going to respond well. Well, you always have your go-to people, right? Right. Mm-hmm. You may go to some people because they have a, a lot more technical background in a subject. Mm-hmm. You may go to others because uh, you may like the ideas they generate off a small amount of information. So you have go-to people, 
the key is that you're, you're surrounded with people that can help you accomplish what your overall mission is. Right. And that, and that's the, that, I think that's a great quality of a leader is to be able to surround and yeah, yeah, communicate the vision, surround yourself with, with people who can accomplish that vision through the different strengths that they have. That's right. Yeah. And the good leaders are not going to be afraid of those that they have around them that, that they may displace them. Right. They're going, mm-hmm. they're going to, um, uh, work jointly with them to help further what their mission is. Mm-hmm. A rising yeah. tide. That's Lifts right. All the ships. That's right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I've said that recently in a in a in a meeting. Rising tide raises all ships. I, we we are Texas A and M. We want to be great at everything. Everything. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so just as a little bit of background from from Mr. Johnson, he did not go to Texas A and M. Where did where did you go to get your bachelor's degree? At a small school in western Oklahoma called Southwestern Oklahoma State. Okay. And then, and then, where did you continue your education? I <laughs> I um, went to the University of Oklahoma Health Science Center for my master's in public health. Great. Many years ago. At that time, there were only eleven schools of public health, and I was never a boomer sooner. Live, you know, having been raised in Oklahoma, I favored a different school that existed in the state, the broader state of Orange. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, I often said, uh, I went to uh, the University of Oklahoma. You do c- cut this out, I hope. <laughs> uh, more because there was an available school than because I wanted to go to the University of Oklahoma. <laughs> available school. An available available school. school. I, I can totally appreciate that. I'm, I'm fighting Texas Aggie class in 99. I've got two degrees from A&M, but I got my doctorate at Texas Tech. And at my wedding, at the wedding reception, a man walked up to me and he said, hi, you know, I'm a Red Raider. He's like, I hear you go to Texas Tech. And he wanted to talk to me about being a Red Raider. And he's like, are you a Red Raider? What, you know, I, I loved going to Texas Tech. I loved my experience on the South Plains, but I'm not a Red Raider because of it. <laughs> and I said, no, 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 I'm an Aggie. I'm fighting Texas Aggie class in 99. Mm-hmm. And the photographer was watching us. I've got a picture in my uh, wedding, album. wedding album of the moment I crushed that man's spirit <laughs> because that was like the one thing that we had in common. And the photographer snapped it right at that moment where you kind of saw him wilt a little bit. And my wife teases me about that all the time. It's There's nothing – you was, got a great education at the University of Oklahoma. I did, and I enjoyed I got a great education at Texas Tech, and I enjoyed my time there. Right. But now – now you're giving back to the students at Texas A&M University. And I will say, even though I know that we all bleed maroon because, you know, you slice open, open, it's kind of that color. But you really do embody the spirit of being an Aggie, even though you're mm-hmm. not technically one. And well, it's, a, you're a pl- it's a pleasure to work with you. Well, thank you. It's, um, it's been a great experience uh, having come to Texas A&M about t- 12, 10 or 12 years ago to recruit our first students, having not any knowledge about what A&M was. Mm-hmm. My uh, youngest son came here, and I got to learn more about what the uh, uh, A&M is about, and it's been great working here. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of catches you uh, catches you up in what goes on here at the university. Yeah. And uh, it's a great place. I would definitely say, that, you know, think about strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. As far as the strength, core values, 
definitely Dennis embodies selfless service. Mm-hmm. He's executive in residence. Yep. He does all the things with all the different companies, mm-hmm. but he's also teaching a class and he also works with the Ergo Center and he work you know works on curriculum stuff. Definitely selfless service. And and students are always in his office. Yep. Can you write me this rec- letter of recommendation? Can you read my resume? Can you make sure I'm doing this right? And you're incredibly responsive. And they are very appreciative. Dennis, how uncomfortable is this making you? <laughs> Pretty uncomfortable. There it is. <laughs> All right, on that note, I think we're going to end. I think uh, we've got some good topics for the day. And thank you, everybody, for listening. We will see you on the next episode. Dennis, thank you for participating. Thanks for having me here. All right, everybody, we'll see you next time. Thanks, y'all. Thank you for joining us on Texas A&M Health Talk, a production of the Texas A&M University Health Science Center. Visit us on the web at vitalrecord.tamhsc.edu where you'll find answers to all of your health questions. Until next time, stay healthy.